Hi everyone, it's time for another episode, I guess. It's, uh, let's see, episode six, the Random Joe Show. Six already. Uh, to recap what the show's all about, if you're new around here, Random Joe Show is a video game book club where we play a new video game each week and discuss it as we move through it together. The conversation happens on Twitter and in Discord throughout the week, and then I make a show each weekend relating your thoughts and memories and also express my experiences. The hope of this show is that you would make friends as you play random games alongside and sometimes with one another. The impetus of this show was the massive backlog of games that I have assembled through Steam sales, free Xbox and PlayStation 4 games, and the like. Next week's game is uh, another random one from my collection, as the name kind of, of the podcast would indicate we do around here from time to time, and that's Spore. Spore's about 10 years old. If you don't know what it is, it's a game where you start as a tiny little amoeba, single-celled organism. And you grow and grow and grow until you have evolved into a spacefaring race of aliens. <laughs> it really is pretty crazy. You get all kinds of ability to add genetic enhancements and improvements. And it's a pretty fun game from what I remember. But I played it like 10 years ago when I was in college. And I don't really remember it that well. So I'd encourage you, if, if you've got it, you might have it in your inventory already. It's a PC and Mac game. Uh, and I'd encourage you, play it with us. Talk about what you're learning, talk about what you're seeing, talk about what you like, what you don't like. I'm sure I'm going to have plenty of things in both those categories to discuss on next week's show. But that's next week's show. This week, we played an incredible game that I am very excited to gush, I mean, talk about <laughs> as we get into it. And that's The Witness. A word about this game. There are elements in it that are real spoilery, but they're kind of necessary to discuss in talking about the game. I'm going to separate what I liked about the game into two parts. The majority of what I liked I can, I can express and share with you without having to worry about spoilers, and I really want to respect spoilers. There's a lot in this game that's about exploration and discovery and figuring it out on your own. I would not want to rob that from you if you're interested in trying this game out. But if you're if you're not interested, if you if you listen to it, you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. It sounds interesting, but it's not my kind of game. I want to encourage you to listen to the spoilery parts because this game does some things that are really unique and really special. And and I want to share that. I want you to hear it. I want you to understand. If you've already played through the game, I'm excited for you to get a chance to kind of hear my experience learning and discovering those things. And uh, and hopefully you can contribute to that as well and let me know uh, when you discovered those things. So that's kind of how we're going to set it up. I'll have a, a larger non-spoiler section. Then there'll be probably like a three, four, five minute section that will have spoilers. And in order, if you want to skip them, what I'm going to do is I'll put in the description what time, the timestamp, that those spoilers end. And that way you can know what time to skip to once you hit those spoilers. I'll give you a fair warning so that you can skip past it if you'd like. If you don't like to, you want to hang out with me for the rest of it, awesome. This game's awesome. I first found this game uh, years ago because uh, Jonathan Blow, the creator of this game, is the notorious architect of Braid. And he's notorious because one of the things that he did, which was kind of unprecedented at the time, this is, you know, Braid came out in a time when most games that were coming out were AAA games or some of these AA studios like THQ 
uh, were beginning to fold, and, and there was this new rise in indie developers, these one-man shops. And one of the things that Jonathan Blow was known to do is that when people would review his game, he would come on into the comments and say, no, 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 you've totally misunderstood it, and try to correct people. So he, he developed kind of a notorious reputation. But either way, that game was incredible. Braid is a phenomenal and great puzzle-based game about time and time movement. It's a 2D kind of game where you have to solve puzzles that relate to uh, essentially platforming challenges using time travel and time traversal. It's, it's a very clever game. If you've never played it, it's definitely worth trying out. But I, I'd heard about Braid. I'd played Braid. I thought Braid was brilliant. And when I heard that Jonathan Blow was, had taken all of the money that he had earned from Braid, which was quite a hefty sum, it, it was very popular. Um, it has like a meta score, I think, over 90 out of, 10, out of 100. So it, it's, it did very well for itself, and it was a commercial success. He invested every penny that he made off of Braid, and then he even borrowed some more to make The Witness. He spent years making The Witness, and this was really kind of the game that he always wanted to make. It's an idea that had been in his mind for a long time of being this exceptional, incredible, grandiose puzzle game. So I bought it the day it came out, and it, it absolutely dwarfs the size and scale of Braid. It's a $40 game, and in my opinion, worth every penny. It, it has the, it's somewhere in between. It is that AA game, not a AAA, full AAA title, but it's not, it's not by any means an indie title in, in its feel and execution. It, it is obviously has been slaved over and invested in. And so I picked up the day it came out, and I loved it. And when I saw it on Xbox One's free games this month, I knew that I had to make this the game of the week and get more people to talk about it and, uh, and encourage people to experience this game because it really is tremendous. Um, as per usual on the show, I'll, I'll share you know, what I liked in parts one and two, the spoilery and non-spoilery. Most of it will be non-spoilers. And then I'll tell you what I didn't like, my overall impressions, and then I'll share with you guys you know, your thoughts, some of the listeners that commented in or sent on Twitter or posted in our Discord and chatted about it. And then I'll talk about what else I've been playing this week and what other listeners have been playing this week too. So what is The Witness? Well, The Witness is a puzzle game, mostly made up of line puzzles, where you are presented with a grid and must navigate a path from the beginning to the end. The beginning is always noted with a circle, and the beginning can appear anywhere along that maze, that, that maze grid graph thing. And the end line is a essentially like a curved line kind of pulling off from the maze. You'll be able to see kind of as it leaves that area, it has a distinctive look to it. Each puzzle is presented on a small tablet-like surface, and they're scattered plentifully around a mystical island on which your character awakes at the start of the game. Your controls are the ability to walk around using the sticks. You do see things in first person, but you see your person-shaped shadow on the ground, so you know you're a human, and you can walk around, and then when you press A or X on PlayStation, it brings up a cursor, which allows you to interact with the puzzles on those screens. When you press again after your cursor has been selected, you'll basically begin tracing as if with your finger on those line graphs and beginning to navigate around them to make a line leading from beginning to end. If you've solved the puzzle correctly, it will light up and then activate the next puzzle in the sequence, which will allow you to then open doors and move through various environments. Now, the game never explains how to do things. 
Instead, it simply presents you with many puzzles in an order that will essentially uh, build in complexity and each solution you figure out refines your understanding of the rules. Let me give you an example from early on in the game. In the game, you are presented with a one by one, essentially just a square, right? With the beginning on one corner and the ending on the other. And there is a black square that is placed in the center of this essentially square. You begin your line graph by starting at the entrance and going to one corner and then out through the exit. Your solution is correct. Now you move to the next one. It looks like a domino where it has two squares. It's a one by two grid with the beginning on one corner and the ending on the opposite corner. However, this time, if you just try to go to the edge and then go straight up to the, to the, to the finish, it tells you you are doing it incorrectly. What you must do is separate the white from the black. There's a white square in one, there's a black square in the other. And that essentially tells you that when you're presented with colors, when you're presented with black squares and white squares, that your goal is always to separate them with your line that you are drawing. Now there's other rules that refine that as you begin to learn, but it presents you with the next puzzle, which has a one by three with two black and one white. Forces you to then figure out how you can put the line in between them. Then it presents you with them, except it goes black, white, black, which then forces you to once again reposition the line so that it breaks up the ones that are different colors than it. So that's that's kind of an idea of how it will present and teach you the rules. Uh, it's very elegant. The game ends up feeling like a Metroidvania game in which a new ability in Metroidvania games will unlock like a new movement mode, like you'll get a rocket launcher that can blow through a certain style of door, or maybe you'll get the ability to roll under a door or escape into a vent and get to a new area. And in a Metroidvania game, you're getting these new abilities and being able to progress through the larger area of the game. In this game, you're not gaining new abilities. You're not getting rocket launchers. You're not getting the ability to move into vents. What you're getting is knowledge. That knowledge will unlock new areas. That knowledge will unlock the ability to solve new puzzles. And when the game presents you with these things, it gives you the opportunity to enter new areas and solve increasingly difficult puzzles with those mechanics. Now, how does that work? Well, the island I mentioned before, which is where all of these puzzles take place, where you'll walk up to a grid, we walk up to a panel, like a little iPad on a table, and solve the puzzle, and then the next iPad next to it will light up, and so on and so forth. But across this island, there are 11 major areas. They're signaled with different biomes. There's a forest. There's uh, a forest looks almost like fall, where the leaves are falling. There's a lake. There's a small town. There is a mountain with snow on it. There's a tropical beach and a jungle area. There is a greenhouse. There are all these different places. And each one has its own separate mechanic that it's trying to teach you. And at the beginning, it will begin very basically with simple puzzles that will try to reinforce to you how each mechanic works. But as you progress, it opens up new areas within that zone that will then get more and more difficult, teaching you how that symbol or how that mechanic works in conjunction with a, an increasingly complex and larger grid. You then have to figure those things out, and if you are able to finish out all of the main puzzles in, in an individual area, it will then unlock a laser, which will then begin pointing at the snowy mountain that I mentioned before. 
Once seven lasers are pointed at that mountain, it will then unlock the ability to start solving the endgame puzzles. The endgame puzzles are a combination of many of the mechanics that were featured earlier in the game. Now, one of the beautiful things about the game is there are a ton of puzzles. There are almost 800 puzzles scattered around the land, but you do not have to complete nearly all of them. I finished the game last time around completing about 450 of those puzzles, but the rabbit hole goes very deep. There's a lot of depth here. It's not a requirement to learn all the mechanics even as you try to complete the game. You have to have at least a basic understanding, but even doing the first five or six or 10 or dozen puzzles from a certain area will at least give you a basic idea of what the mechanic is doing. The way those puzzles are then enumerated on as you progress is very clever and interesting and really challenges you, even if you have learned the mechanic, to begin to solve the puzzle, which is really brilliant. So that brings us to what I liked, and there's a lot of this. We'll start with the spoiler-free. This is what I'm, I'm gonna use for most of it. The first is the art. This game has a very distinct art style. It looks almost as if it's kind of like painted, it, it does have kind of an Unreal Engine look to it, but it's very stylized. It has a, a very colorful approach, and that's one of the things I really loved, it are these varied locales that are extraordinarily colorful. And the way that the art is presented is that almost any screenshot that you take of this game looks like a hand-drawn picture. It doesn't have some of the same lines because it is still like a 3D, somewhat realistic game, but there's there's like an optimistic sheen on everything. It's not quite perfect. There's not as many, uh, there's not as deep a set of shades, but it's almost as if the colors that are placed there are intentional. It's a simplified version of reality, but it looks idealized and beautiful. The way that the art style is presented, it really does communicate well, and, and it has this very clean, clear presentation that causes you to just enjoy where you are. It, it's a beautiful game, and and hopefully that gives you a sense for kind of what it's shooting for and what it does. It has some simplistic elements, in it, and it minimalizes in certain ways, uh, but it ends up just looking gorgeous, whether it's the environments or the puzzles themselves. There's an aesthetic to it that's very, very clean and, and nice. Um, it does have a realistic bend to it. But like I said, it's, it's that like idealized, like a little bit of a sheen. And it's not like a sheen in terms of like a shininess, but it, in terms of uh, a solidness of the colors. Um, but the art style is, is just really nice. It's, it's, it works very well. It gives it a very distinct look and feel to it. And many of the ways that the art style presents items ends up feeding into the presentation of the puzzles. And that gets into the second thing I loved. The puzzle presentation is incredibly good. All the puzzles in the game, those iPads that are sticking up, they're all clean, they're clear, and they're mechanically satisfying to play and solve. Dragging the cursor is satisfying. It has a good feel to it. It moves at a good clip. It's hard to describe exactly what it is, but what you're not fighting with at any point in time, you're not fighting with the controls. And that's so important in a game like this, where you can be so easily frustrated with the difficulty of the puzzles, you don't want the mechanics to be frustrating in any way. And that distraction just gets out of the way. It's not an issue. The puzzle presentation is excellent. It's very easy to understand based on the symbols that are there. There is no ambiguity. You know exactly what you're looking at and you can figure out very quickly what the puzzle wants you to do or at least what is right and what is wrong. Even down to when you begin solving certain puzzles, if you 
have incorrectly solved it, the symbol or the mechanic on the puzzle that is incorrectly solved will flash briefly to show you that you have solved it incorrectly. There are sound cues, and that this presentation makes the game just sing because it gets all of these things that can typically be distractions in puzzle games out of the way, and that design is so clear and concise that you know what you're trying to solve for and it allows you to only think about the puzzle and not be confused with really obscure or poorly drawn symbols or animations. It's just really, really nice the way that it's been presented. Um, the sound design, as I mentioned, is also excellent. The game is very quiet and, and this is very, very important because the game wants you to do this at your own pace. You never feel rushed. The Witness is a game that you take in stride. And the small sounds that are there are exceptionally well implemented. Whether it's a gate clattering open, the sound of a puzzle being solved, the sound of a light turning on, those sounds end up becoming more notable because once again, they're all intentional. They're all purposeful. They have their place and they do their thing. And when that's not the case, the game is quiet, and even the ambiance, the background noise, is in service to the type of area that you are. Maybe you're in a jungle. There will be little chirps and, and, and sounds you'll hear of the rustling of, of, the, of, the, of the leaves, but it's just slight enough that it doesn't distract you, but it puts you right in the moment. Um, the waves crashing, you know, not even crashing, but the, you could hear the water moving, rippling gently. The sound design in this game is excellent, in part because it is so slight, and it needs to be. You don't want a, a huge orchestral you know, score kind of washing over you in this You want to think. You need to think. And the sound design is quiet, intentional, and, and well implemented in this game. Lighting. This goes back to the idea of the art style, but... Lighting has both a functional and artistic value in this game. The lighting in this game serves a purpose that it, it functions within several of the puzzles. But in addition to functioning as, as a tool to use to, to solve certain puzzles, it also just ends up making the game look even better. I mentioned that the art styling of the, of the color and the, and the, the various locales are, are wonderful the lighting brings it even to a higher degree of, of, uh, of just brilliance. It is a really great game, and, and the, the sun is set in the sky. It doesn't have a day-night cycle, but that only helps it because the, the lighting in certain areas is just pitch perfect. The way that they've, they've structured it and placed it, everything is intentional, and I, I will reiterate that. Everything in this game has a level of intentionality and detail that is just unfathomable. Every minute angle, every detail has been gone through with a fine tooth comb. And when you begin to understand how deep that design goes, it gives you a greater appreciation for little things like the lighting that are just brilliant. One of the other things that I think is really excellent about this game is, is the core design of being able to leave a puzzle for later. One of the things that separates The Witness from every other puzzle game I have ever played is that you are actively encouraged when you don't know an answer to a puzzle to drop it for later. And this is at the very core of the design. 
At the very beginning of the game, you solve a few puzzles in an opening area that are fairly simple. And when you leave that area, that then leads you toward the rest of the island. Now, the next puzzle that's presented to you along a linear path, the, it, it is the next puzzle you will see, is a puzzle that you cannot solve. It is purposely presented to you so that you will realize that you don't have the information available to you. It gives you like seven or eight different types of symbols, all of which you'll learn fairly, you know, quickly as you progress through the game, depending on which areas you go to and how deep you go into them. But they're, they're all fairly elementary symbols. It's not a hard puzzle, but it has a lot of different information that you don't know. And it's presented to you in that way purposefully so that you will eventually not solve it. It's too hard. It's too complicated. There's too many variables and you don't know any of them. The whole point of that is that the game is designed around the idea that you solve puzzles in some part in the back of your mind. Now, when I played this game the first time, uh, I was having this happen all the time. I was, I'd be at work, okay? And I would still be mulling over a puzzle I, I failed to figure out and moved on with in the back of my mind. And then all of a sudden, it would come to me. I literally, that, that time that I was playing it, had a piece of paper and a pen next to my bed at night on my bed stand because I would wake up in the middle of the night and have thought of an answer. I'd be in the shower and I'd be thinking about these puzzles in the back of my mind, not actively, but just passively, and think about something I hadn't tried yet. This game forces you to allow that background noise of your mind, that background processing power to be leveraged for you. I've never seen a puzzle game do this, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant, and it's one of the things that makes The Witness such an incredible game because it allows you to solve them on your time. It begins to give you the, the tools necessary to solve these, and it doesn't require 100% completion. It doesn't require you to solve a puzzle to move to the next area. No, it presents you with 11 areas. And even late in the game, it doesn't require you to do all 11. So maybe you're still working on five different areas, but you've got to solve one of them. It allows you to experiment. It allows you to take your time. The design of the game is just a cut above. And there probably is another puzzle game that does this, and I'm not aware of it. But I will tell you, I have never played a puzzle game that, that forced me to drop a puzzle and come back later in a very physical way. Even just the fact that that's one of the purposes behind the art style of the game. The art style is soothing. The, the sound design is quiet so that you can think about the stuff in the back of your mind, so that you can drop a puzzle that you can't figure out and come back later. That's the point, to make every area distinct so you can very easily backtrack and get back to that puzzle that you couldn't solve and figure it out and try again and fail again and then move on to the next area. The design is just incredible. I, and I've never, I've never seen it before in a game like this and it really makes the, the experience, for, for me it made the experience just so much better than any other puzzle game I've played. This was especially highlighted in the previous week game of the week, Full Metal Furies. Full Metal Furies requires you to solve all these very obtuse puzzles, and I would say that The Witness has more intricate and obtuse puzzles than Full Metal Furies does, but Full Metal Furies requires you to do them. You can't progress until you do them. You have to solve them in a specific order. The Witness has none of that. You solve them in whatever order you can figure them out. 
You wait for them for later. There's so many puzzles that there's always another puzzle to try, always another puzzle to do. And sometimes you're in a totally different area, solving a totally different puzzle that has nothing to do with the mechanic that you left behind. And you start thinking about that mechanic you couldn't solve. And then you figure it out. And then you go back. And then you do it again. It's awesome. It's such a great design. There's also a lot of bold choices in this game that make puzzles that may not be accessible to all. And this is something where I don't want to come off saying that this is that we want lots of lots of stuff in games that bar people who have accessibility problems from them. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a bold choice that in order to make this many puzzles, some of them they do exclude others. But they're not mandatory. Examples of these are there are a few puzzles that have to do with sound, but none of them in the final area relate to sound that you have to solve in order to beat the game. There's also color puzzles that if you're colorblind are going to be kind of a mess. Um, as I go through this game again, I, I'm actually probably going to have my wife help me solve the sound ones because I have no ability to differentiate tone and you need to for some of these puzzles, right? I like the, the boldness of the design decision to say, look, we'd rather offer more and not make them all mandatory. One of the other things I really love about this game is that it makes, it remains challenging even after you learn all the mechanics. So even in coming back to this game, I, I still remember like almost all of the mechanics. I remember almost all of what the symbols mean that I learned two years ago. And even then, some of these puzzles are hard. There's almost two components of the game. There's the learning part, the, you know, the, the tinkering, the exploring, the figuring out what these puzzles mean and what are all the mechanics and what are the symbols for. And then there's the difficult ones that really put you to the test. Now, now you know how these puzzles work. You figured it out. Now you got to apply it. I love that there were both of those things active and that the mixture of that is great. And this goes into another thing I love. The difficulty curve in this game is nearly flawless. Owing in part to the sheer number of puzzles, but more particularly to the, impl the, the implementation of how they appear in the game. The ordering, the difficulty scaling, the presentation. Often they will appear in sets. So you'll see a line of five or six iPads. And the first one is fairly simple and builds on what you already know. The second one brings you a variation of it. Maybe it moves the entrance or the exit and that causes you to have to solve it slightly differently. The third will be another slight variation. But by the fifth or sixth, now you're really being tested. And, it, and through that testing, you learn a new way to solve it. And then that gives you the ability to then come to the next set of puzzles. And then it refines that understanding of that new rule you learn and then throws something else at you. The, the way that that's presented, even just having a row of five or six at a time, gives you a, a tangible sense of starting and finishing. Once again, the design of this game is just so incredible. Uh, it's really, really great. Um, one of the things I loved is just the feeling of... The feeling of, of solving a puzzle, the feeling of solving it and the feeling of, of, of getting it done. Sometimes you feel stupid and sometimes you feel like a genius. And those are great feelings. 
Sometimes you just take a stab in the dark, an educated guess, and you hope it's right, and you learn something new because it worked or it didn't. It has high highs and low lows, and they're presented in just the right cadence and just the right manner. And once again, if you get stuck, if you get frustrated, you just move on. And the game has taught you that from the very first area, that that's what it wants you to do. It wants you to move on. It wants you to find something that you can do. It wants you to learn something. And in the back of your mind, all the while, you're solving that puzzle that you couldn't figure out before. I love this game. And I think it's got just the design behind it is just a cut above. And it, it, it's one of those things where it's, it's obvious that Jonathan Blow is, is a little bit uh, a little bit particular, we'll say. Um, pretty obvious that that's the case because every detail of this game has just been refined to a sheen. And it, it is just, it's clean and clear and the, and the design of it is so apparent and the polish is so apparent. Uh, and and it's, it's really great. Now, I want to go into a couple of spoilery things. And uh, this is your warning. Um, so if you don't want these spoilers, if what I've said so far is enough to, to cause you to say, I need to play this game, I like puzzle games, and I need to play this game, then go play it. Stop listening to this. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll have in the, in the description of the podcast, I'll let you know where you should go. It'll probably be about four or five minutes. And I say that now, but it might be a little bit longer. It'll probably be about five minutes. So if you skip ahead close to like 35 minutes, you'll probably be nearby there. And I'll try to give warning when I'm going back into things I disliked and my overall impressions. All right, have you gone? You ready? All right, here's the secret. There's a game in the game. There are puzzles everywhere. Do you see the whole point of this game is to teach you that not only are the iPads where the puzzles are, the puzzles are everywhere in the world. Early on in the game, you head up to the mountain where the lasers are pointed. And on the mountain, there's a puzzle that just won't solve. It's a small dot with a squiggly line that then moves forward toward an end. This is designed as probably the first one of these you'll see. If you're looking at the at that pla- at that iPad, you'll be confused as to why the puzzle is not activating and why it doesn't activate anything. If you step back, you'll see that the river below is exactly the same formation, exactly the same shape as the puzzle. You wonder, hmm. Pull out your cursor, you begin to draw on the world, and you discover that out of the 800 puzzles in the game, 300 of them are all around you. There are lines and circles everywhere, in the clouds, along buildings. Some of them you can only see when you're on the boat that traverses the island. Some of them are only visible from a certain perspective. Some of them are visible from above. Some of them are visible from below. All of them require you to be in a certain place, looking at a certain thing. And you begin to look everywhere and see these puzzles everywhere. That's what this game is about. One of the most amazing things is you can beat this game and never see them. There is a secret ending of this game that is in the first area, which I found out because I looked up a video. Here's what the secret is. The sun 
is the start, and the gate leading out is lit up in a yellow color that matches it. If you line up the sun above that initial gate, it forms a small maze puzzle. If you solve it, it opens a door where that gate that would take you to the rest of the island is. Behind it, there are many quotes uh, and different philosophical things as you, tra- as you go up these stairs and into this looks like a resort, and then eventually you're treated to a video of Jonathan Blow in a VR helmet looking around and seeing that in the world he sees these puzzles everywhere. From circles and lines on his tile floor to his rooftop kind of garden area where he sees, you know, bolts and all, uh, all other manner, you know, w- lines in the wood where he sees these puzzles everywhere. And that's what the game's about. The game's about seeing things outside of the game, about having your perspective changed. And it's amazing. I, I will never forget when I first saw that, when I first noticed it. When I first looked up at the clouds and thought, that kind of looks like a puzzle. When I first pulled out my cursor and tried to draw and found that it was a puzzle. That changed everything for me with this game. This game's incredible. It really does take over your mind. <laughs> I felt like a crazy person playing this game. And, uh, and I love the way that it's presented. Um, a little bit of backstory. I, I watched a developer interview about this game um, that Danny O'Dwyer did in Noclip, and I'd encourage you to check it out if you have a chance. But he basically said that it started out as a spell-making game where you draw spells um, via, like, if you'd have a wand, and they couldn't figure out how to make it work, but it was, a, it was an RPG game where you draw spells, and then essentially you'd find the spells were actually all around the world. So that's where the idea came from. This whole game is actually about something that some people beat the game and never even notice. And that is why this game is one of the best games ever played. This is why this game is the best puzzle game ever played by a wide margin, um, is that reality. All right, well, that, that gets us out of spoiler territory. Um, so if you're, if you're joining us back, welcome back to non-spoiler edition of Random Joe Show. I hope that uh, if you skipped out on the spoilers that you're ready to hear what I disliked. There are some things that I dislike about this game. Yes, after all that gushing. One of the things I disliked is that it kind of takes over your thought process in your life and you, and you kind of have to dedicate yourself to playing it. Because the game is about information and not about abilities, and there's nothing in the game that tells you this is how this works. I tend to think that the game gives you the, like it's so memorable that you do remember those things. But it's it does require a lot of time and investment. It's definitely not a game for any mood. It is a game for a very specific mood. And if that's not what you're in for, if you don't like games like that, you're not going to like this. It knows what it is. It's a very niche game. I think it's a very great puzzle game. I think it it really does ascend beyond most genres. So even people that don't love puzzle games will get into it. But I think one of the things I disliked about it is that I couldn't pick it up and just play it. 
It was the kind of game where I knew if I pick up this controller, I'm going to be in for three hours and I'm not going to be able to stop. Um, it really does get you and it takes you over. It also requires you to get a pen and pencil. And I, I hate this and I love it at the same time. I really kind of had to, I had to just have a paper nearby. I have three pa pages front and back filled up by the end of the time I finished the game the first time. I've got one right now in my, in my living room that's filled up front and back already from just playing it for a few days. This game really does you know, require a lot of extra thought. And especially if you don't have the spatial ability to manipulate shapes in your mind. And I, I don't think anybody could beat this game, except for maybe Jonathan Blow, without writing anything down. Some things almost require it. And I, I kind of like that that's the case. But I also kind of disliked it. The game doesn't give you all the tools you need that you have to go outside of the game to solve the, the problems with the game. Now, at the same time, like I said, it was endearing. It's enjoyable. There's something special about using pen and paper and figuring it out. There's something special about having a piece of paper next to your uh, you know bed so that when you wake up in the middle of the night because you had a dream and you figured out the puzzle that you can solve it. I, I'm, I'm all about that. But I think that that is potentially a negative. So what are my overall impressions? Well, I can't overstate how much I love this game. It's a monumental, groundbreaking game in my opinion. I've certainly never played its equal in terms of puzzle games, and I really like puzzle games. The Witness is in a league all its own. From its core design, unbelievable depth, incredible length, exceptional implementation, and unique ambition, The Witness delivered in every conceivable way for me. This game is a must-play for anyone even remotely interested in puzzle games and stands as Jonathan Blow's magnum opus in my opinion. So yeah. I guess you could say I liked it. <laughs> well, what did you say, though? Well, I played with Thaden earlier this week, and it was really fun to hear his joy as he discovered things for the first time. Hearing his confusion and his excitement was awesome. He said he really he really enjoyed it, and I hope he goes further with this game. Big Papa Los, he, uh, he got a couple of the light beams to activate on the mountain the first time he played. And, uh, and he kind of complete. he said he completed the, the reflection, the rocks, and the water puzzles. But he got stuck on the Tetris-looking pieces, which, by the way, are very difficult, uh, and stopped right about there. He and his son were going to mess around with it this week, and they were playing at the beginning, and he was kind of helping his son with the things that he remembered to solve the puzzles. Some mechanics were kind of hard for his son, but they were able to solve those together. He also got wrapped up in Iron Banner this week, as did, I think, many of us and didn't play uh, much other than Destiny 2. He did go back, though, and find uh, a couple of new areas he hadn't seen before, like the tree areas and, uh, and a couple of the other puzzles, and he planned to share some of these with his students so they could help him solve it. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Big Papa, because I actually did the exact same thing when I played this game back in, in 2016. I was obsessed with it because I just couldn't get it out of my mind, and so I would come to to you know to the school, and I would be just you know, anxious thinking about this game. And I finally started telling my students about it and showing them the mechanics, showing them some of the puzzles and drawing them on the board, the ones I couldn't figure out, the ones I was struggling with and asking them to help me figure it out. So it's really cool. It's cool that you did the same thing that I did there. Uh, and we, we definitely, uh, it's interesting to see them and the kids were loving it. They were asking me all kinds of questions throughout the week about the game as I played it. And I let them know I beat it. And was ready to just kind of like, all right, I loved it, but I'm ready to let it go because it has usurped too much of my attention. Now, uh, that was kind of your guys' thoughts on The Witness. Thank you so much for playing with me, those who did. 
I hope that if you played it and you, you didn't necessarily comment, I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, I loved going back to this thing. I did not beat it. I was going to try to beat it, but uh, I got about, I think I got six lasers done. Um, I, I made it through pretty quickly. But uh, as we'll talk about here uh, in the other games section, I had a few things that distracted me. So this comes to the other games portion. So we talked about our game of the week, The Witness, and now we're on to the other games, a.k.a. the Destiny 2 part of my show, although I played some other stuff too. Full Metal Furies. Okay, that was last week's game of the week. If you didn't listen to that show, I'd encourage you to. There's a lot of good in that game. It's not perfect, but there was a lot of good about Full Metal Furies. I actually 100%ed it. Um, this week after I did the show, I finished it got the true ending, and started a new game. Plus, I have returned to it a couple of times this week and have almost cleared the first world. I really like this game. It's got a ton of charm to it. It's it's just silly. I've been watching Slow Wolf. Uh, he has his Twitch VODs for when he started playing this game. I'm watching Wanderbot, and his uh, he's a YouTuber as well who played this with... Uh, I don't even know who he played it with, but he did it co-op. And uh, I just think this game's great. If you haven't played Full Metal Furies yet, listen to my show. Uh, pick it up if you can. It's great. It's by the Rogue Legacy developers. It's kind of a a 3D brawler, or not 3D, it's a 2D brawler side-scrolling type game. It's very difficult, but it's very satisfying. Uh, another game I played was Awesome Knots. And I've talked about Awesome Knots a few times, but I really like this game. I discovered it this year as I was trying to play through my backlog and really loved it. That's actually where I found Slow Wolf. Slow Wolf was a YouTuber who primarily does Awesome Knots videos. Those are his most popular, but he likes a lot of other indie games. He and I actually have a very, very similar taste in, in games. So if he recommends stuff, which he recommended Full Metal Furies, I generally check it out. Well, this week was a balance patch that came out for Awesome Knots, pa patch 4.6.6. Huge change to a bunch of the characters. Oh yeah, and if you don't know what Awesome Knots is, it's a 2D MOBA. Yes, you heard me right, 2D MOBA. Um, it's kind of like if you imagine like Smash Brothers, except instead of it being like a fighting game, it's an RPG, like a MOBA, where you have abilities on cooldowns. But unlike games like normal MOBAs where you have three lanes, you have two, a top lane and a bottom lane, because once again, side-scroller like Smash Brothers. And in this, instead of your cooldowns being some of them on like a you know minute or two minute cooldown, these cooldowns are like 10 seconds, which allows you to, to fight at a quicker pace and there's only teams at three, which means that individual matchups are much more common, and it's 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 a really fun game. You do buy items, you fight creeps, you've got you know computer AI characters that are coming in, you have to destroy towers to move to the next area, and then eventually take out their base. It moves quicker than most, uh, um, I was, I'm going to say Dota, but uh, most of those, most MOBA games, but uh, it's, I really like it. It's, it's my style of game which is weird because I hate competitive games. and Look, I don't know. I just like it. It plays good. I played it on PS4, though, and I've got to say the implementation leaves so much to be desired. I, I started playing this game on PC. I liked it enough that I wanted to buy it on PS4 because you could buy a pack with all the characters, whereas the PC version is free to play. So if you get it on Steam, it is free to play, and that'll allow you to then earn some of the characters or buy them as DLC, but it's more expensive to buy them because you have to buy them individually on PC. So I bought the full pack on PS4 because they recently updated it so that it was at 4.6, but this or 4.6.5, whatever it is, it was it was in parity with the PC version up until this week. So I'd been playing on the PS4 and just not having fun, not having fun. Just yeah, it's it was not fun. But 
I went back to the PC and I'm having a lot more fun again. There's a lot more players in the player pool, so the matchmaking's better. There's a co-op mode where you can fight against bots, so you can kind of experiment with the characters and learn them. Um, it is frustrating at times, just like any multiplayer game, but it's very good. I had a lot of fun with it this week. I'm going to play some more games and try to get back into getting comfortable with it. Um, Gang Beasts was another game that I played this week, as well as Towerfall Ascension. We had a bunch of college students over at my house. Uh, I'm a pastor, so we... Every couple weeks we do like a college group and we had a video game night. We played Gang Beasts and Towerfall Ascension. These games are incredible, just couch, kind of friendly. Co they're actually both competitive, but they're really fun. Gang Beasts is one where you have these blobby characters that look like Teletubbies in suits <laughs> and they are all fighting each other. And it, it's just a physics-based game, and it's just silly and ridiculous. It's so hard to control your character, and that's half the fun. You fight on these absolutely ridiculous stages like a Ferris wheel or an industrial plant or an incinerator or a wrestling ring, and it's just really fun. Um, so we played a bunch of that. Towerfall is a game where it's a 2D game. It's made by the guy who made Celeste. And uh, you are an archer, and you fight against other archers, and it's 2D, and it's pixelated and it's wonderful it's just a great game uh those games were really fun so if you played those before let me know i i love those games i think they're great they're really good in a in a crowd they're really good when you've got a group of people around um and then on the soundtrack front i listened to a lot of full metal furies and celeste this week as well as cave story since i played that for my 38 minute impressions so those were the soundtracks i kind of listened to and spent time with as well all right, we got to do this quick. Destiny 2. I played a lot of it this week. Let's hit the high points. I got the DFA from last week's Nightfall. That's that rare hand cannon that was dropping. It took about 20 runs, but I was able to acquire it. Got a second one two runs after I got my first one because I was still trying to help other people get theirs. I got the Sparrow from this week's Nightfall on my third run. It seems like the cosmetics drop for me a lot faster than the guns. The sniper I didn't get in the first week. The ghost I got on my second run, the uh, DFA took me 20, and then the the sparrow dropped on my third one. So I'm continuing to play and continuing to, to kind of do those things. I also helped a bunch of folks get their Rat King and Acreus. Um, it was a busy week in Destiny, in part because the, uh, the Destiny 2 um, Community Summit was this week where they invited a bunch of community leaders, including Arrow Knight from Destiny Reset, which is my, uh, my podcast clan. Um, not my podcast, but uh, our podcast group, and I'm one of the members there. And uh, very excited, very proud of Arrow Knight to be out there representing our community at that uh, at that summit. They got a chance to talk with the developers. They also announced the Warmind DLC that is coming out in two and a half weeks. I'll probably do a special show for that when it comes out. I might I might even just make it my game of the week that week. And more info um, came out on the exotic tuning patch, hence the reason why everybody was going to get their Rat Kings. Um, I also got my Segura Ghost on my second console. What is wrong with me? Why in the world would I punish myself so? I don't know. I like it. And I, I'm getting ready for the new expansion. Uh, I started going through my vault, deleting all the stuff I didn't want, deleting all my cosmetic items so I have room for new armor sets. Uh, making sure I have at least one of every exotic so I can play around with the new, the, with the changes. Um, that's kind of what I did. And I played a lot of Iron Banner. 
6v6 because that started this week and it was very fun. I found that I could pick off more people and engage people from uh, from farther or from better distances where I was just by myself. Yeah, I ran into teams. Yeah, there were teams, as Datto calls it, death balling around together, and that wasn't terribly fun. Yes, a lot of the matches were totally imbalanced. Yes, I got spawn killed, but it was fun. My belief is that PvP just has to be fun and have those power spikes. It did it for me this week. I really liked it. I had a lot of fun. Now, what have you been playing? Well, many of you have been playing Iron Banner. And uh, Black Dragon and Big Papa were discussing in our Discord this week uh, and had a great conversation about their thoughts about Iron Banner. Uh, Dreadnought te- or, uh, sent me a Twitter thing about how he's been playing Tom Clancy's The Division, having a lot of fun with it, and he has a bunch of thoughts on what they could do for mods in D2 as he's playing and enjoying uh, The Division so much. I'll definitely have him on as a guest sometime if I can work it out, and we'll talk about Destiny 2. Maybe I'll have him on for that Warmind episode or something else. I mentioned this last week, but uh, Black Dragon has been playing through Tomb Raider, uh, the newest reboot, so the one that came out in, what was that, 2013, 14, something like that. And he just finished his first playthrough, which, by the way, they announced, I think it was this week, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the third game in that series, is coming out in September, and I can't wait. Anyway, Black Dragon finished playing the first of those games, and uh, here are his thoughts. He says it's one of the better games he's played recently. He found the story engaging and the gameplay super fun. Weapon upgrades were interesting, although he's not super sold on the weapon parts being RNG-based. Personally, he thinks that they should have been tied to collecting everything in a set or something like that. Well, I agree, it was a, a really, really great game in terms of its gameplay mechanics. I thought the story was competent. It was able to get you through. And, uh, and I appreciate him posting in about what he thought about it. If you've played Tomb Raider and want to talk to him about it, you can always do that on Discord or on, uh, on Twitter. I'm sure he'd love to share with you. Uh, his thoughts, and let you know what he enjoyed about it. I know I enjoyed quite a bit about it as well. So that's what you guys have been playing. Thanks those who shared their thoughts and what you've been enjoying. I know many of you are playing other stuff and just didn't necessarily comment or didn't have time. I know Milks is one of the guys who he works in uh, as an accountant, so he does taxes. And so this week was, in the U.S., our our tax uh, deadline. And so he was hoping to get some witness time in. I don't know if he actually did, but at the very least, he's definitely going to be playing some Battlefield with all of his extra time now that he doesn't have to do people's taxes every day for months. Um, Well, that'll bring us to the end of Episode 6. Don't forget that next week's game is Spore. If you don't know what that is, as I mentioned, it's that 10-year-old game where you are starting as an amoeba and work your way up to being... uh, a civilization of aliens that's conquering other stuff. I'm really excited to play this again. I I remember liking it, but not really digging into it too deeply. I had a friend in my uh, in my dorm that had this game, and I played it on his computer whenever he let me. And then I picked it up at on some sale, I think on GOG, um, way later. Um, never really do- dove into it afterwards. I think it's got a lot of flaws. It's it's it seemed in remembering it that it has a lot of issues, but it's a really interesting concept, and it's pretty fun. So I hope you play it, and uh, let me know. You might already have it in your in your inventory. I think it's on Steam as well. Um, so check it out. Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you uh, if you enjoy it. And 
we'll talk about it for sure. Now, the next game after Spore is going to be a PS for, or a PS4 free game on PS Plus. They're announcing the new ones for, for next month on Wednesday. So instead of trying to get you to download the game now, which you'll need in two weeks, I'm just going to wait until they announce the next week's and then, uh, or the next months, and then we'll pick out of those. If you have an opinion about one of those games that you want to be game of the week, let me know. And I, I can, I can pick around your desires on some level. I don't want to pick a game that I think I'm going to hate. Like when it was Bloodborne, I'm not picking that. Uh, I don't like Bloodborne, but we'll, we'll pick one that hopefully people are interested in and that I somewhat like, or have at least the belief that I will enjoy. If you'd like to be featured on the show, all you got to do Send me something via Twitter or Discord about the games that we play. Now, my Twitter handles are JRMeden for my main, that's my personal one, and then Random Joe Show, no spaces. You can always send it to that one. I post all the show stuff there, and uh, you can contact me on either of those, and I'll be happy to include your thoughts on the show. If you want a Discord invite, you can reach out to me on Discord or Twitter or on Xbox or PlayStation, and my, my gamer tag is Joe the Meden. My Xbox or my PlayStation name is Joe Meaden, and I will send you an invite. I hope that you'll get involved with our community. There's some great people here, many, most of which, I think all of which, are connected through Destiny Reset. Um, and I hope you'll get involved with that and, and get a chance to play maybe some other games other than Destiny. Or if you're listening to this now and you're not a part of that community and you're not really into Destiny, that's fine. I hope that you'll get a chance to connect with some of these really great people that I've met through that Destiny Reset community. As far as content on the channel this week, the 38-minute impressions feature uh, is going to be for Rime, R-I-M-E, which is a uh, 3D, uh, like, uh, I guess it's a puzzle platform adventure game, and that'll drop sometime in the middle of the week. Then next weekend, I'll release episode 7, discussing Spore. Well, I think we've done this long enough, right? That should do it for me. You know where to find me. In the meantime, have fun gaming, and I'll see you soon.